Okay. This morning we're going to read from Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. And I'm going to start in verse 1 of Ephesians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, a special messenger, a messenger, a vessel of Jesus Christ, it was by and through the will of God to the saints, those sanctified ones that are set apart in Christ, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. When it says the faithful in Christ Jesus, it's not talking about whether we act faithfully or not. We're, we are considered faithful because we've been placed, positioned in Christ. And now that is to be worked into in our conduct and our behavior, to be worked into our experience. Verse 2, it says, grace to you in peace. Notice that? So in Christ Jesus, what do we have? We have grace, and then we have peace. From where? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because they're one in John 10, verse 30. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus, according as he has chosen us in him. Something that he didn't do apart from our will, but certainly had to do in John 15, verse 16, with his will, meeting our will. So according as he has chosen us in him, placed us, positioned us in him, before he even formed the world, the foundation of the world, that we all only those that are in Christ should be what? Holy. Holy speaks now of how we function in our proper character and in based upon our, uh, how we behave is based upon our character. And that's why it says here that we should be holy. Do we always act holy? Do we always act and function in the character that we are? No, but we should be, shouldn't we? Because he's given us everything. Should be holy, and then in that, when we function in our proper place, and we realize that he has made us holy, what do we experience? There is no blame. Notice that. We will never blame another person for a single thing. Without blame, before why? Because we're before him in love. And if I'm before him as a believer and I'm positioned in him, so is every other believer in him. And beautiful truth. Having predetermined, predestinated, having predetermined us, us and only those in Christ, unto the adoption of children, we were adopted, something that's even far greater than being born into a family. We were born into a family, and we were conceived in sin in Psalm 51 and verse 5. But now, and that was our first start, born into a family of sin, that was the sin nature in Romans 5.12 that was passed on, but now we've been adopted, placed even higher so much higher in Christ. We have been adopted according to Galatians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 and 16, and we are children of God. Thankful for that. 
So we've been adopted, having predetermined us in the adoption of children by and through and in Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure. Where is all good located? It's in Christ. It's in God. That's where all good is located. That's why Romans 8, verse 28, all things work together for God's divine good. All things work together for God's good, the good, ho theos, ho agathos, God's divine good. To them that what? In Romans 8, 28, to them that what? Love God. And love there always speaks of the fact that it is our obedient and his love causes us to be obedient. It is our obedience returned to him. That's why we experience the fact that all things work together for God's divine good because we function in the character of who we are in Christ, having in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, our obedience fulfilled in 10, 6 of 2 Corinthians. It's been fulfilled in Christ. And so we see that according to the good pleasure of his will. Who's the only one who ever pleased him? In John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15, verse 3, it's Christ. And who is who then fulfilled all his will in John 4, in verse 34, and in John 19, 30? Who did that? That's Christ. Where are we located? In Christ. Two. The praise of the glory of, notice this, it's his grace. Do we have grace apart from him? No. Can we make a single adjustment in life right now, experientially, apart from grace? No. And who does he give grace to? Those that he has humbled in James 4, 6 and in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. So to the praise of the glory of his grace, this is what makes it necessary for us in obedience to constantly submit our will to him so that by that grace and that truth that Christ is, we can function properly. Wherein, and I want us to look, God wants us to look at this, this word here, especially wherein here. Wherein, wherein, beautiful. He has made us. That's past tense. Did you know? Everything about us pertaining to us, has been already made in Christ. Everything about us eternally. If our eternity is taken care of, should our time also be? Do we have that eternal life that Christ is in us, in 1 John 5, 11, in time? Do we? And we do. And so we can see this clearly here. Wherein, wherein he has made us. He made us. What can we do without him? He made us. Did we make ourselves? Can we make anything that's of any value apart from him? Wherein, notice that, wherein he made us, all those in Christ and only those in Christ, again, this will do away with the false teaching of universalism, that somehow after death, those that are in hell will get out. No, it's making it clear. He has made us accepted approval in the beloved. He's accepted us in the beloved of his son. Now, Colossians 1 verse 12 says, he has qualified us. 
He has made us meet, it says in the King James, but he's qualified us because of the light that we have in Christ who has transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness in Colossians 1 and verse 13 and placed us in, this is what it says in the original, in the son of his love. That's what it's saying. He has made us, in Ephesians 1, 6, accepted in the beloved. In whom we are, and this is what it says in the original, in whom we are having redemption, something that's never going to cease. Through his blood, notice where it says through his blood there. That's why it says in 1 John 1 verse 7, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. In other words, he's fitted us with the very character that we are in Christ. We are children of the light in Ephesians 5, 8. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. We're children of the light. We have this character. And in that character, in 1 John 1, 7, we fellowship, exchange who we are with each individual character in Christ. And we have fellowship in 1 John 1, 1 to 3. And if we do happen to fail in sin, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, are we confessing that we are that sin? Now, we're confessing that we did it, but it's not who we are. Okay? And there's no condemnation in this confession in 1 John 1, 9. So if we confess our sins, it says, He is faithful and just, justice being met in Christ, to forgive us our sins, that's love and justice working together, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He does it through what? What is it in 1 John 1, 7? When we walk in the character of who we truly are, we experience the continual, continual cleansing of the blood. And this is what it's saying here. We have this in whom we are having redemption through his blood, the, for, the sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins. Notice that? Did Jesus just pay for my sins? Or did he pay for the sins of the whole body of Christ, no matter where they're located, in any particular location? Did he pay for those sins? Then what are we holding each other accountable for? <laughs> we have the forgiveness of sins. We have it. Why? Because each of us has Christ in us who's forgiven not just my sins, but the sins of the whole body of Christ. Thereby, we can make that adjustment through the humility of grace to be brought back into a place of reconciliation and forgiveness and continual fellowship as long as I submit my will to him. In whom we are having redemption, <coughs> excuse me, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What? What's it according to? The riches of his grace. When I refuse to forgive, am I living in sin? And when I live in sin, what am I making more of sins, my own unsubmitted will? What do I make it more of than the riches of the grace that Christ is? Now notice again, wherein. Remember the first, the first wherein is in 1.6. The second wherein is here, wherein he has abounded. Towards who? Towards us. In our place in Christ, all wisdom and prudence. Where is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid? In Colossians 2, verse 3, it's hid in Christ. And no wonder it says in Colossians 2, verse 2, that we are knit together in love. 
knit together in love? Can we ever positionally be separated from the reality of the fact that we have been knitted and placed in the son of God's love? Can anything separate that? Can sin? No, it can't touch personal relationship. But what can it touch? Experiential growth. What would stop experiential growth? An unforgiving spirit. And believe me, if it's not the Holy Spirit, which brings in the reality that through the Spirit of Christ we have been forgiven, then what spirit then would we be operating under? Wherein he's abounded towards us. Right? We have that. Wherein he's abounded. What does abounded mean? Do you remember what Jesus was talking about when he was speaking about his own that would hear his voice versus the many other voices in John 10, verses 3 and 4? Do you remember what he said in John 10, 10? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. How can he do that in relationships with believers? A lack of forgiveness. He steals, kills, and destroys. First, from the one who refuses to forgive the other, and then, and then what? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But, separated from all that, I have come that they might have life. And what kind of life? Abundant, abounding, overflowing life. What does that speak of? That speaks of Romans 5, verse 20, where sin abounded. What? Grace did what? Much more abound. Much more. And then some way on top of that in an immeasurable sense. Much more grace abounded. So when there's sin and failure, grace gives me what? The truth that I can, I'm forgiven and I can't forgive. And when I don't, what am I abounding? I am abounding myself under the enemy over Christ himself. Because remember, you remember what he had to say to Saul prior to his salvation in Acts, the ninth chapter, in those first six verses? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why would you persecute another believer? Why would you put them on probation? Why would you persecute them when they're already forgiven? Well, Wherein he has, in Ephesians 1, 8, abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. No, I don't want it right now. I don't want all wisdom. The wisdom of his love, the action of his love, the energy of his very nature, which is love. And out of that comes the light of forgiveness, which is purity, which keeps us pure in our relationships. I mean, can you have a pure relationship with Christ or in the most intimate relationships without forgiveness? It's an impossibility, and we need the grace. But before he gives us the grace to do it, we need to be humbled. And the thing that he has to humble in us is a will that's not been yet submitted to him. Then we can, the enemy will give us every excuse with the questions of why. <laughs> why? Wherein he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us. It's not that we don't know. Remember in Hosea 4, verse 6, this, the, the Holy Spirit was, was saying through the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Notice what it says there. And I'll just read that very, very quickly, and then we'll return to this. Do you know what he said? In, and the Holy Spirit was saying even to, to his people through the prophet, 
through the messenger of Hosea. And look what it says. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. See, it's not that they didn't have it. It's not that they didn't know. It's not that believers don't know they should forgive one another instantly and be restored. It's that they won't. They will not submit it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make the hurt, the blame. Matter of fact, I'm going to make the incurable wound that was dealt with in, in Jeremiah 30, verse 12, the old sin nature, I'm going to keep that alive. I'm going to make it greater than Christ himself, his person, and what he's accomplished. So my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I shall also reject you, that you will be no priest to me. In other words, you can't go in and fellowship with me as a believer priest and go in and offer prayers even up for yourself and others because in, because in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, an unsubmitted will, functioning under the iniquitous one in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, and in Psalm 66, 18, the Lord will not hear when I call. He won't hear my prayers. My prayers are hindered. What hinders believers' prayers? Lack of forgiveness. Making self and its will under the enemy greater than Christ, who's dealt with every single problem, being the answer for the reconciliation that is so needed for a local assembly to function properly and skillfully. I will also, in Hosea 4, 6, reject you that you should be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of God. The law of God here is this. If we understand the law of God in terms of being a believer in Christ, what we have to go to is John, the 13th chapter. In John 13, verse 1, it says, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. He just doesn't stop loving us. Then what did he have to do for those that were there in John the 13th chapter, his very disciples, those most intimate and close to him, what did he have to do constantly? Had to cleanse their feet constantly. Do you know what it is when we function in Christ? It becomes one of the highest privileges that we can do to actually wash one another's feet in forgiveness. It's, it's a privilege, honestly. It is such a privilege to be a servant. That's why he said, and you'll see the operation of what he did in John 13. You will see that in 1 through 10 of those first verses in that chapter. He washed their feet. But then he said, if you know these things in John 13, 17, happy are you if you do them. You will have such joy to do it, because you will lose the old self and function in the new me, and me and you, and you will be a servant, and it will be a privilege to wash one another's feet in forgiveness. Because what was he doing when he was washing their feet? He was forgiving them. He was forgiving them. And then he said in 13, 34 and 35, you see a new law. Here's a new commandment, and this is what it's saying here for us. Where it says in Hosea 4, 6, you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. In other words, any children, right, whatever they bear or whatever comes out of them is going to fall under them. When they forget God, are they going to cause their kids to forget him? Or whatever they do, whatever they do, it's going to be that fact that God was forgotten. But for us, the law there is this new commandment, as I have loved you, so should you love others. 
And by this will all men know that you are my well-taught ones. If you love one another. And that's the key. That's the key. There's no reason in the world. Plenty of reasons in and under the world, but none in him. Ever to not forgive one another. Now, here it is. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of what? His will. Mystery here, we will see in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, you will see that mystery is not like it's mysterious or so hard. It just was all a part of, of the mind of God about you and I in Christ, even before he created a single thing. Even in John 1, verses 1 and 2, where it, it brings us into eternity, and there is the Son in his pre-incarnate state as the Son of God, and they have this exchange of a love that nothing can interfere with or distract. If I'm not distracted, or if the enemy hasn't interfered with me, then if I haven't, do I blame anybody for anything? Who took care of all the blame? Who became responsible for the blame of all my failures? Yeah, maybe good for my failures, but not anybody else's. <laughs> what do you do? You exclude Christ. And when you do, and when I do, we exclude fellowship. And we don't even understand what fellowship is outside the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 16, and in Philippians 2, 5, we're to let that mind be in us. That mind in Colossians 3, 16 is the very word of God. Let the word of God, Christ who he is in your own individuality, find a home in you and dwell in you. Loikidomio in the Greek, the home, a dwelling place where he can dwell and rest in his love where his love is resting about everything that he's completed about you and I and each other. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, uh, of his will according to what? His good pleasure. Who's good? God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Who brought that pleasure? Christ did. Good pleasure, which he purposed in who? Every purpose about us has been fulfilled where? In Christ that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which in heaven and which are upon the earth, even in him. This verse alone, and we won't get into it this morning, is bringing out clearly, clearly, how in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28, Christ will make everything one again, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. And that's why in Revelations 4 and verse 3, the, the, the rainbow is circular. He's uniting heaven and earth, ruling and reigning through Christ. Earthly people, Israel, millennial reign, and you and I, his church, the most intimate relationship. Did you know we have the most intimate relationship with, with him? All people groups. Of all people, who should be most forgiving? those that have the most intimate relationship with him. Do you know why we don't a lot of times enter into forgiveness? Because we don't have and don't spend a lot of time in intimacy with Christ. Other things come in for all of us. And then when they can, that's where it says, where Paul said, listen, I, if you forgive somebody, I do. Because I'm one with you. In, in 2 Corinthians 2.10. But if we, not, we need not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. 
Okay, because that's a Satan's device in the body of Christ to cause separation is a lack of forgiveness. It's an unforgiving spirit. That is a spirit that is not of Christ or of the Holy Spirit, but is of the spirit of the world under the prince and power of the air, Satan. And so we can see it clearly that in the dispensation of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both in heaven and which are, in the, which are on earth, even in him, in whom we, the church, have obtained an inheritance being predestinated, pre-planned, according to the purpose of him. Every purpose about us, who does it have to do with? Him. And if it's him in each individual, boy, what purpose we have. The purpose of him who works what? Some things. What does it say here, folks? In Ephesians 1.11, who works all things after the counsel of what? His own will. My own will? No, his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first hoped. That's the better word there, trusted. But hope, hope is Colossians 1, verse 27. Christ in us, the hope, the guarantee of glory. We have a guarantee. We have a guarantee. And nothing brings it out more clearly than intimacy with Christ. And nothing brings out more the clarity of forgiveness than the intimacy that we have personally with Christ. And if I have personal intimacy with Christ, that will flow, that love will flow into forgiveness of each other. And there will be no distance or space between us. No reasons to be separated. Because as long as I know, in, in, in Romans 8, verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then it names all those things that can happen to us. Read it in 8, 35 through 39 of Romans. So, what are we saying here? We're gonna, what are we saying here? Do you know when Paul said in Ephesians 1, verse 1, he said, I am a special, special, special messenger filled up with all that Christ is by the will of God. Do you know what he's saying? You know what the original says here? It is by the fulfilled will of God in and through and by Christ himself. That's it. And and what will that experience be? It'll be my position. And in my position, as he graced me out with every single blessing, And when I function in grace through humility, what do I experience? How does he lead us? Peace. Does God lead us through our struggles? Does he? Nope. Struggles stop stop us short. Stop us right away. Now, struggles. Listen, struggles. Who made us? Who made us in Christ? Remember we read that. We read it in those first... Uh, 12 and 13 verses. He literally made us in Christ. We see it in Ephesians 1, 6. Look, he made us what? Everything about how we're made in Christ is what? Accepted of God. And we won't accept another believer? Why? Why? No forgiveness. No forgiveness. He's made us. We are not our own. Okay, he's made us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. When I don't forgive, I make myself my own and exclude others, and I'll pick and choose who I will fellowship with and who I won't. Is that right? That's not right. It's not right. 
struggle, where are all our struggles located? And we all do. Listen, I do, we all do. You do, I do, we all do. We struggle. But where do we struggle? In self. Our struggles all have to do with an unsubmitted will. All of us. We do. It's an unsubmitted will. We struggle because we will not submit the will. We know we should forgive. How many know that we should forgive each other? But is knowing enough? Is submission needed? And who does he give that grace to make that adjustment to? Those that he's humbled. What does he have to humble? He has to humble our wills. He has to do that. So we struggle. I'll tell you where we struggle. We struggle in self, unsubmitted will. We do not struggle in Christ. You know when it says here in Ephesians 1, 6, wherein? says it there clearly, wherein. Wherein. He says it again in verse 8, wherein. Wherein. Wherein simply means this. Here's the question, where? Where? Do you remember? God. Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state when he was walking in the cool of the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. You know, remember what he said? Do you remember what he said? He asked the first question. Did you know that? That's the first question in the Bible. First question. Godly question. Because where was the first question located? In the enemy. When the enemy speaks first and questions, allows him to question me something about what I should do or, or should I not do, Do can I hear two voices at the same time and not be confused? The first voice was the lie in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. The second voice was this. And here's what was said. Here's exactly what was said. And this is wherein, by the way, for us, in understanding all the preponderance of the Scriptures. Because how else are we going to come to a right decision if we don't understand the preponderance of God's thoughts. How else should we do this? This is Genesis 3, verse 8. And they, in their backslidden state now, heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, what? Hid themselves. Well, I can't fellowship. I can't fellowship because I'm not experiencing forgiveness so what am I going to do? When I don't experience forgiveness or when I don't forget, what, what do you think I do? I hide myself. Adam and Eve, his wife, hid himself. You hear the voice. The voice says forgive because you have been forgiven in Ephesians 4.32, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hide myself from the presence of the Lord. Oh, God. Oh, so important, isn't it? It is so very important. They hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. Now how do I consider men in Mark 8, 24 and 25? How do I consider them? They're just trees. I don't see men clearly because I don't see who I am. An unforgiving spirit dims a proper image in the individual who doesn't forgive. Dims their image. And then we see this. Here it is in, 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 in Genesis 3, verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Look, where are you? <laughs> Do you know that's what his question would be to us? Where are you? We will, he will never have to question us when we're in fellowship with him. 
The questions come when we're not. No, not what they did or what they didn't do. No, where are you? <laughs> where are you in your relationship with me? Where are you? Well, in verse, in, verse, in verse 10 of Genesis 3, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was what? Afraid. Was love motivating him in his decisions, or was it fear? Do you think there's any fear in someone that doesn't experience forgiveness? Do you think there's any fear in someone who walks in blame of others and skips themselves? <laughs> who seek to justify themselves through grace, but not others? I was afraid because I was what? Naked. I was outside of your presence. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? And you know where it goes. Then the blame game starts right there. You see it. The whole blame game. Trying to make someone else accountable and responsible for my own lack of forgiveness and my own lack of intimacy with Christ. And these things are very, very, very true. So when it says we're in here in Ephesians 1.6 and Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8, we're in is this, where? Where are you? Are you in self or in Christ? Are you struggling? Do we struggle in who we are in Christ? Is there any struggle in his presence? Do you know why there's no struggle in his presence in Psalm 16 verse 11? The reason is this. is because we lose the old self and find the new who we are in him. Old things are passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 17. What are old things? Tell me, come on. In our old self, who did we really ever really even forgive? <laughs> who did we ever really? Who was that? Was any, was every, wasn't everybody wrong and we were always right in the old and measure? Come on. But old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new in him. Why are they new in him? Because everything that needed to be forgiven was forgiven in him. Isn't it amazing? We're in. We're in. Here's the mystery. You know, when it says here, we're going to wrap this up this morning because we will go into these things again. I'll clearly, I, I most likely will go into them uh, if God has it with my time with Mike tomorrow on Monday, but also as whosoever will on Tuesday and Friday, if you can and you're able, God's given you the grace to do it, fine, we'll go into it even deeper in Tuesday and Friday. But here, mystery here, having made known, in, in Ephesians 1, 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his old. You know there were millions of believers Prior to the dispensation of grace, the dispensation of grace, the church age, what they would have given to experience these things that you and I experience right now and never did. If you read Hebrews, the 11th chapter, you will see that all those Old Testament saints, if you follow this with me, and if you do, and it's, it's going to really help if we do, if you follow it with me, and it's very key to do it, it's very, very key to do this. That all those are Old Testament saints that were given to those that are in Christ. See? They all trusted and believed, and look what he did for them. But we even have a greater measure of it. 
We have a greater, more intimate measure than they ever did. And of course, there's a greater accountability and responsibility because His grace has made, given us the supernatural ability to, to obey and do what, what Christ has finished in His obedience for us in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 6. Having made known unto this the mystery of His will to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. What was the mystery? That for decades and thousands of years, man... The mystery was that man was shut up under Satan. Adam fell. Those through the sacrifices and what they were pointing to in Christ, if they would receive him, would receive him, and they would be, they would go to heaven, no question about it. They wouldn't be a church people, but they would be a heavenly people. Crystal clear in the scriptures but that they, they would no longer be shut up under Satan. But you see, when my will is not submitted to him and who I am in Christ and my experience through humility, if not, I still, everything's a mystery to me. Why? You can't figure it out. It's confusion. It's all confusing in 1 Corinthians 14.33. Why? Because can I be thinking confusing thoughts and still experiencing life and peace in 1 Corinthians 14.33. No, I function outside of his order in 1 Corinthians 14.40, and the order is Christ. And that order goes right into love and forgiveness. Just goes right into it. Flows. It doesn't flow without it. It doesn't flow. So the mystery is man was shut up under Satan. What? The mystery, and here's the mystery, folks. The mystery of man in his own will submitted to Christ, or still functioning in his own will under Satan. Can a believer have that? Can a believer function in, in their experience in Satan's will? Can they? They most absolutely can. Ephesians 4.27. Okay? Ephesians 4.27. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says this, and then we're going to wrap this up. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says this, Be angry and sin not. <laughs> can you do that apart from grace? Can I? Can I do it the right way? Could I? Never. None of us can. Be you angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon what? Your wrath. So we have God's anger in Christ, which is righteous anger, versus your wrath. Your wrath. When it says your wrath there, let me read this. Your wrath. How, do I, how should I understand your wrath? Because your wrath is put in competition with godly anger. There's godly anger in my own wrath. Watch this. How do I explain that? James chapter 1. Every good gift, in verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. That's Christ coming down. Not only positionally, but so wants to fellowship with us and come down in our experience in, in Revelations 3 and verse 20. The Father of lights with whom there's no variableness. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have this, but I'm not going to give it to them. I'm going to make sure all my sins are dealt with, but I'm not going to deal with, your, with theirs. Well, if you don't, if you haven't dealt with theirs, don't they become yours? <laughs> Disobedience? 
Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Oh, how Christians, the enemy wants to convince Christians to live in the shadows. I know what the truth is. I know what I should do, but shadows, shadows, no substance, no experiential substance of a proper position in Christ in a proper image, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, this is Christ again, read it in Ephesians, the first chapter, begot he us with the word of truth, that's Christ, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creations. And again, this is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. James 1, 19. Wherefore, my beloved, be swift to what? Hear, submit, and function in the will and word and way of God towards yourself and towards others. Swift to hear, Slow to speak, oh boy. Slow to speak. Be careful what someone speaks to you and be careful what you hear. And Mark 4, verse 24. Be careful what you hear, how you hear in Luke 8, verse 18. And then what? Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Wrath, your own wrath. Your own experience apart from Christ. Your own way of dealing with others. For the wrath of man, what? Works not the righteousness of God. What is God considered to be our wrath outside of Christ? Filthiness and superfluity of not overflowing evil and naughtiness. Oh, God. And receive with what? Meekness, the engrafted word, which is able to deliver you, and in this case, from an unforgiving spirit. Oh, how the enemy has his way. Oh, how he can change people in their experience and their fellowship with others in a heartbeat. Oh, how he can do that. And oh, how things, because of that, have to change. They have to change. But here, and we're going to close, this is the third close, so I had three strikes and I'm out. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place. Don't give up your experiential place in Christ. Don't give that up and give it to the devil. Disobedience. Disobedience experientially is the individual giving up their place, which is their proper place in Christ, to Satan. That's topos, T-O-P-O-S. Neither give place to the devil. My unforgiving wrath gives place to the devil. I exchange intimacy with Christ for my wrath and still think I'm having fellowship, still thinking I can hear and receive the word in a proper place. Let him that stole steal no more. Yes, this is talking about working with your hands physically, so you have a supply not only to give yourself, but to give to others. This is, this is material, financial things, but much more in a spiritual sense. Let him that stole steal no more. Let him, when the enemy stole you away from your place, don't let that happen anymore. Don't let the thief come in John 10, 10a to steal, kill, and destroy your intimacy with Christ. Don't let him steal, but rather let him labor. Where? In the word. Labor in the reality of who you are. Labor in love for others. Even when you love them, the more I love. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, the less I'm loved. 
Did you know the more that you will love someone and the more in love that you will have to deal with areas in people's lives when they don't submit their will, the, the less they will love you. What does that mean? Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15? He said, there was a time, you Galatians, there was a time that we had such a love and intimacy in exchange of Christ between each other, you would have pulled out, tore out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I now in 416 your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth that you're functioning in the flesh. It's not who you are. I'm telling you, this is who you are. But until you decrease, and that area is pointed out, you can't function in the increase of who you are in Christ in John 3 and verse 30. And we can say, oh, this is too much, which is the lie of the enemy. Listen, let him labor, working with his hands, that which is what? Good. God's good. That he may have to give to him that has a need. Would God, through Christ, in Philippians 4, and verse 19, supply all my need in a, in a vessel other than myself. I promise you, that's the way it works in the local assembly in the body of Christ. We each have a portion that God has given to fit the need right where we are. And when we don't submit to them in the reverence of Christ and who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them in Ephesians 5.21, I miss my need being met. I don't need them anymore. <laughs> I don't need them anymore. Can you imagine if God said to you and I, ah, you did it to me one too many times. I don't need you anymore, God. I'm done. <laughs> He's not like us, thank God, huh? Verses, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What are words? Vehicle for thoughts. If my thoughts aren't good, what are they? They're evil. Let no evil, infection, communication proceed out of your mouth. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care how nice it is. The enemy's very subtle. He can dress up evil communication. Believe me, he can do it all day. He can do it all day. Come fellowship with me, but I won't there. Nope. Not of God. Not of God, folks. It is not of God. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but separate from that, but that which is good. God's good. To the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Because if you don't, you grieve. You pain. You cause pain to God, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when we live in sin, the Holy Spirit can no longer, in a continual love relationship, take the things of Christ and show Christ in us and us in Him in John 16, 13, and 14. It grieves Him. It pains Him not to do so. Whereby you are sealed. You don't even experience the seal of ownership. When my will is not submitted to, to, to God... And that's why it says in Galatians 5, verse 16, walk in the Spirit through humility and through grace. Right? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's a lust of the flesh? You hurt me, this is the last time I'm done. How many times have we hurt? In, gosh, in a marriage, how many times unknowingly and, or even foolishly do we hurt each other? How many times is enough? Peter, 
Peter, Jesus says, how many times did you forgive in Matthew? How many times did you forgive? Oh gosh, maybe for the same thing in the same day, seven times. You know what Jesus told him? No, not enough. Seven times, 70. 149 times in the same day. Because the love hasn't changed for the need of the forgiveness. Let all bitterness, anger turned inward, and boy, we can cover that up and make it look pretty. Oh yeah. Let all bitterness, anger turned inward, remember what bitterness does. Does it, does it infect just the, the one? No. Hebrews 12, 15. Many become defiled by that bitterness in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Bitterness and wrath, what? How, how, much, how much bitterness? All bitterness. Has Christ dealt with all bitterness? All wrath. Has Christ dealt with all wrath? All anger. Has Christ dealt with all anger? All clamor. This evil, noisy, noisy thought life of just constantly evil. I make more of what is against me than I do Christ for me. That's clamor. Evil, wicked thoughts. And then evil speaking proceed. Be put away from you with all malice. And be you kind. Because isn't love kind? Patient in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Be you kind one to another. Tender hearted. Not a hard heart. In Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 3.10 and on. Forgiving one another. Why? Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You know when it says finally be kind one to another? You don't make that kindness that was given to you proceed to another until you have to go down in the valley, the two. Romans 1, 17, they go from faith, dependence to what? To, transition period, flesh got to be worked out. Faith to another. That's what it says here. Be kind one to another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And Father, we do thank you that we have been so forgiven in Christ. Thank you in Ephesians 4, verse 32, we are forgiven. Thank you again and again, all through the scriptures, Father. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' holy name that in Colossians 3, and in verse 12, we can put on those that have been elected, holy and beloved, these, these emotions of mercies and thoughts of kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. We can actually forbear one another in 3.14 and forgive one another. In Colossians 3, verse 13, if any man have a quarrel against any, a complaint or a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do also. And in that forgiveness, you will continue Continue above all things to keep putting on that love, which is the bond, the unifying material of being complete. And then you experience peace in Colossians 3 and verse 15. Thank you so much for these realities that are ours, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.